Welcome to Harvest Beyond Sunday, a podcast that seeks to equip and inform the members of Harvest Church. My name's Jamie Trussell, a pastor and elder here at Harvest Church, and this week I am privileged to be joined again by a fellow pastor and elder, Steve Winstead. Steve, thanks for being here again. Yeah, always always good to be here with you, Jamie. So last week we, we ended, uh, uh, the nation of Israel is in Egypt. As God promised back to Abraham would happen, it's almost this incubator in a sense of where they are growing, they're being fruitful, they're multiplying, their numbers are increasing. Uh, We met Moses at the end of last week who uh, kills the Egyptian, flees, now he's being called back. And Exodus chapter 4 is is where we pick up this week with a little bit of a dialogue between God and Moses as God is saying, Moses, you're going to lead my people out of slavery uh, almost into sonship, into the promised land. And Moses has this list of excuses as to why not. But it might be good, Steve, just as quick review, uh, maybe a few minutes here to take us from kind of these major episodes that have happened, beginning with Genesis 1, that have brought us to this part of the story. Yeah, yeah. What we've seen so far is God is uh, bringing a people to himself. He starts with with Adam, and God even refers to Adam as a son, and then the next major character that we see in Scripture is Noah. And again, God refers to him as a son, and we see there uh, the judgment of God. And judgment's hard to see as a, as a good thing, but for a holy, righteous God, he is saving those who are his and bringing judgment upon unrighteousness. And then uh, we move on and we see Abraham. And that's really the start of the nation. And it starts off hard to believe that God is keeping his promise to make this uh, nation as numerous as the sand on the seashore, as many as the stars in the sky. This is a hard thing for Abraham to grasp. He tries several times to say, God, you've got to have another means, somebody else, my servant Eleazar. Uh, he has a son by Hagar, all these things. And finally, God says, no, it's the miracle child, the child of faith. Isaac. And then we see on down, and by the time we end Genesis, we have a small group of people living in Egypt. It's about 70 people. Turn the page to Exodus chapter 1, and we jump to about 2 million people. Uh, That's what scholars estimate, living in Egypt. And now they went from Goshen at the end of Genesis. Goshen is prime real estate. It's the neighborhood everybody wants to be in. Goshen now is the worst neighborhood. It's, and the uh, Israelites are now in slavery. And God takes one man, Moses, and raises him up, puts him in the house of Pharaoh, and raises him up to be a deliverer. And what we saw at the end of our last week was God called Moses through this most famous uh, episode, really one of the most famous in Moses' life, the burning bush, where God calls him to do something Moses Uh, probably didn't have on his radar to do. He had tried to do it on his own and failed, and I think he had sort of resigned himself. I'm going to live a bit in exile as a shepherd. Well, yeah, and it's it's an interesting dialogue as we pick up this week in Exodus 4 uh, because the uh, just the reality of Moses kind of being a normal, fearful guy, which many of us could probably relate to, uh, shine through when God keeps calling him to go back and be a spokesperson, even performs these signs and miracles to prove to Moses that, hey, it really is me. I really am powerful. 
And yet over and over again, Moses says things like, I can't speak well enough. What if they don't listen to me? What it's, it's a Exodus four is a passage of Moses gives an excuse. God still calls him anyway. Moses gives an excuse. God. And, and really, I think it's a good discipleship point, Steve, and something to talk about in our gospel journey groups is Moses is so enraptured with his own limitations that he fails to see the bigger picture is God's purpose is that his power and glory are going to shine through Moses' limitations. But, but oftentimes we see our own limitations and stop, and that's what Moses was tempted to do. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point, a very powerful point. I experience in my own life, sometimes I'll look and I'll go, I don't have those gifts. I'm not as uh, talented, gifted, and I'm really looking at it from a human standpoint. And we forget that where God leads us and guides us, he's going to accomplish what he desires in and through us. So Moses, he has to walk Moses through this whole step of gaining confidence in him. And oftentimes the things in our life that we walk through and we have faith in, if we can recall those and remember those the next time, we can keep walking. And in discipleship, you're always going to have people who are going, I can't do whatever it is. That's or, right. I'm not going to make that big of impact. Or uh, the Lord's, I, I don't feel that significant. When we're to be faithful with what the Lord has called us to. Uh, and one of the things we know in Scripture, God has called followers of Jesus Christ to be about making disciples. So as we engage in that, regardless of our gifting and talents, we're engaging in what God has called us to do, and he's made it clear in Scripture, and he'll give us what we need to do it how he uh, is leading us to do it. So he gives Moses in chapter 4 all these signs really proving to Moses, hey, that's right. look at what I can do, trust me. That's right, and uh, uh, still knowing Moses' hesitancy, which is one of the things I love about the Bible, and I feel like it's one of its authenticating uh, realities is is the Bible includes a lot of weaknesses of its main characters. Uh, and there's no reason to include the fact that this hero of the nation of Israel is hesitant and fearful unless it's true. And the yeah. Bible wants to record what's true. If not, you would have redacted that or factored that out and only presented Moses as this. Strong. But uh, he's so timid and fearful and hesitant that God says, you know, essentially, and I paraphrase, all right, look, I'll let Aaron go with you and do the talking, but you're still going. Yeah, and I love that God, when Moses is at a point of struggle and he feels alone, God continually meets his need through his people. So Aaron comes. Later in this book, we'll see Jethro will speak into his life. So God continually meets Moses' need through human means, through people that are walking with the Lord and God speaks through them. And, and really that's Often how God works in our lives right now. Yeah. People who are living by the word, speaking into our lives, encouraging us, coming alongside of us. We need others. And we see that Moses here, God provides another person to go with him. Yeah, absolutely. And so he goes. And and everybody might not be familiar with it, but but anyone that's been in church for any significant amount of time or, or, or any cursory Bible studies, probably somewhat familiar with Moses before Pharaoh and the plagues that come. We won't get into uh, it's not the purpose of this podcast to get into the details of those plagues, but standing to note that uh, from what I understand historically and even culturally as far as the Egyptian uh, religious arrangement went, uh, these aren't just random, whimsical things God decides to do, that these would have been 
uh, communicating some very real things to both Pharaoh and the people of Egypt as Moses is trying to, to ask Pharaoh to let my people go. Absolutely. These plagues are all upon the deities and the places that they place their hope and their trust. The very first one we see the Nile turn to blood and we think water is our source of life. We have to have water to live. And God says, no, your, your source of life is going to be blood. And all the, all the way down through there, God is showing that he will judge the economy. The economy of Egypt will be destroyed. This is the most powerful nation on earth at the time. And for the Israelites to have victory over this nation, they had to do two things. Trust in something that seemed crazy, the foolishness right. of God, right. and then begin to walk in obedience and follow where God was leading them. They did those two things. And God destroyed the economy, the agricultural, um, the military, the infrastructure, the government. He, he took away the next ruler of Egypt. God took care of all of that. And all his people had to do was trust something that seemed really crazy. Yeah, and, and it's trust in real time, isn't it? It wasn't like God showed them the whole game plan and said, this is how it's going to play, and on this day I'll do this. But it's it's that's the part about faith is it's real time. You know, we don't get fantasy grace injected into our future fantasies. It's a real-time walk by faith, which I think the helpful definition of faith is just a tangible expression of trust. And they had to exhibit in a minute-by-minute, minute, without knowing what was going to happen next, that God really is going to take it. And that narrative is going to continue. We don't get there this week, but all through their wilderness journey is this ongoing, if they would trust God, he will provide. Yeah, and, and we're going to see them struggle with things that you go, I, I want to look at it and go, I think if God had done something like that for me, I would I would be doing better than they are and trusting more. But the reality is I probably wouldn't. You know, we're, we're yeah. so quick to go back. I know, it's best to assume... Uh, the worst reaction to myself, I think, when yeah. <laughs> looking back into that. And and I think that's the thing, even as we walk with people, sometimes we're, we're, we're investing in someone who's maybe been in church for a while, and they have some of the, the lingo down and know some of the stories, and you would look at their lives and think, it seems like you should be further along. But what we have to remember is God is, is growing people, and they continue. We, we continue to want to return to the things of this world rather than trusting the Lord. And, and that's what we see. It, the, 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 probably one of the ultimate, one of the hu- most grand events of the Old Testament is the Passover, which yeah. we see in Exodus chapter 12. It's hard to even put words how significant this is. And that's the final of the ten plagues is the right. Passover. And um, God is going to show part of his purpose. God will judge unrighteousness and lead his people to freedom, safety, and security in him. He will save his people. And that's what he's going to picture here in, in the Passover. We're going to see the firstborn of Egypt um, uh, die. In fact, they worship Pharaoh as God, and the very the, the Pharaoh's son will die, the next uh, person that they would worship as God. So God is bringing judgment upon all these things. And Passover, uh, it, it's a crazy idea in human terms but it's monumental. Well, yeah, and it's one of the the uh, the clearest passages that points forward to the ultimate work of Christ, and it does it crystal clearly. I mean, uh, you know, it records chapter twelve. The Lord said to Moses, this is the beginning of this dialogue on the Passover. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, 
in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. So everything starts, it's almost everything starts again. Everything's made new. Everything is centered around this particular act. Same true of, of Christians was Christ as our Passover lamb. At that moment, when Christ comes into our life, regenerates us, it's like everything starts over again, new creation. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house. And if the household is too small for a lamb, he his nearest neighbor shall take one according to the persons, according to what each uh, can eat and make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be, this should sound familiar to us, without blemish. A male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or the goats. You keep it until the fourteenth day of this month. I've always read that and thought, you know, Stephen, I, uh, you don't have to have kids. Understand this, but we both do. God's been kind to us in that. And I mean, if you got a baby lamb in your house for fourteen days, they've named it. My daughter's brushed its hair. You fed it. Uh, it's n- it's going to be a bit emotional when that lamb has to die. Absolutely. And part of that, as harsh as it may seem, is though the blood of this lamb is going to bring freedom from death and judgment, it's not this detached freedom from death and judgment that doesn't cost somebody something. And uh, is salvation free to us? Yes. But let's not think that that reality means that it didn't cost God something, something great, you know, the life of his own son. So they have it in the home, keep it 14 days. And then at uh, twilight on that day, they kill the lamb. They take some of the blood, put it on the doorpost, and it is when you are covered by the blood of the lamb. Again, kind of continuing Isaac's question uh, on the mountain, uh, Genesis uh, 22, I believe, with, with Abraham, where is the lamb? Well, here we get more clarity on, on the lamb. We see that idea of lamb grow was sacrificed for one man, Isaac. Here's when we sacrificed in faith for the family. And... What occurs here at the Exodus and Passover, this is the most often recalled story in the entirety of the Old Testament. Anytime they want to talk about how glorious and how great and how magnificent God is, they pull back to this event. In fact, in Exodus 9, 16, God tells Moses the purpose of all of this is that all the nations may know that he is the Lord and that there is no other. And as we watch the Israelites march toward the land that God has given them, all the nations will continually say, this is the nation whose God defeated Egypt. They all have heard of that, of, of, of the glory and magnificence of, of who God is. And this event, the Passover... 1 Corinthians 5, 7 makes it really clear that Christ is our Passover. So this is pointing us forward. Uh, this Passover lamb, it's people and uh, the Israelites were trusting in faith for God to provide. And God uh, was meeting their needs. They're trusting God. They're showing their faith. In the Old Testament, it, that's how people were reconciled to God was through faith and the promises of God. But that promise will ultimately be fulfilled in Christ. So this is an act of faith until there is a sufficient sacrifice. So this is a temporary sacrifice, and that's why every year they pull right back to it. Right. And, uh, you know, you mentioned 1 Corinthians 5-7, which is a, a really big passage in biblical theology overall of understanding this idea of Christ and his work. It's hard to understand in completion the work of Jesus without understanding Exodus 12, uh, but even John uh, 1, when John says, hey, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, well, 
what kind of lamb? A Passover lamb. Paul brings more clarity to that later as well. And and so we get that here. And uh, uh, unfortunately for the Egyptians, those who were not covered by the blood of the lamb uh, experienced the death of their firstborn. Uh, whether it be a son, livestock, uh, death uh, saturated the Egyptians on the night of the Passover. And life came to the households of Israel that were covered by the blood of the lamb. That's a picture ultimately of, of human reality of life comes to those who are found in Christ. Uh, death, ultimate death comes to those who aren't. And, and that picture of God and that reality, that, that uh, uh, just uh, uh, reality of God and his judgment on sin is seen in the second book of the Bible. Yeah. And, and this picture of uh, the firstborn son we see that throughout Scripture, and, and in, in this culture, the most precious thing um, to a father was that firstborn son who would get the double portion of the inheritance, who would carry on the family name, who would take care of the parents as they uh, grew older. So God is showing the sacrifice and the weight of our sin. Our sin deserves death, and he pictures it through that which uh, the Israelites, the Egyptians would treasure most here on this earth, and that is their firstborn son. And God allows the firstborn of Israel, their whole family, but the firstborn in particular, to live through the blood of the lamb. And again, it's that picture of the gospel. It's just uh, really being screamed here that this is what we're going to. This is what Christ is. He's our Passover lamb. Uh, born where sheep are raised, sacrificed during Passover week. Jesus died and breathed his last uh, as, as the call uh, to prayer there on Passover was, uh, it was being blown. That's why they wanted to uh, get him off the cross so quickly was because mm-hmm. they had to end Passover day and couldn't have the body hanging there. So, so much of our understanding of Christ is wrapped up yeah. in our understanding of Passover. Yeah, and that would be, uh, I think, something that's really a blessing and fun for our, even our gospel journey groups to dive in even deeper and study all the implications there. Now you mentioned earlier kind of this uh, checkered history of Israel as it relates to trusting God. Well, here they have been in a massive way provided for seeing the power of God deliver them from a situation they could have never delivered themselves. They never could have set themselves free from Egypt. And they move forward from that to not very long, uh, 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 pretty soon after that, they get to the Red Sea. They're trapped against the Red Sea. Pharaoh's pressing down on them. And uh, how quickly they even forget the power God showed them in the Passover, which you know certainly may have been true of you and me too. But God makes a way. Parts the Red Sea. They walk over it. And again, I think it would be uh, helpful to, to, to read this. So 12 you have Passover, 14 you have the Red, Red Sea. And then you get to chapter 16. And after everything that's already happened, they say in verse 3, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt, where we sat by pots of meat and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Uh, You know, this is, I think, the ultimate example of hanger. Right? Yeah. They are hangry yeah. to the point that they're willing to you know, depart from God and go back to Egypt. We see a couple things here. One, how quickly the desires of our flesh can cloud our commitment to Christ. Secondly, uh, I don't even know that what they're saying is historically true. They paint it like they had 
easy living back in Egypt. But we know from the beginning of Exodus that was not their existence. And so we get circumstances change on us a little bit, and we can go, man, it was a lot better back when. Well, was it really? And our desires, how quickly do our desires pull us away from 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 Christ? Yeah, and, and we see that they're all sort of struggling out in the wilderness. You know, Moses begins to feel this enormous amount of stress going, how do I handle all this? All these uh, two million people that are all coming to me with petty differences, they're not getting along, they're not working well together, and that's part of ministry. And as you disciple people, you're going to deal with people whose lives are hurting and struggling and messy, and God tells, uh, Jethro tells Moses that, hey, you, what you're doing is not good, Moses. You need to appoint some uh, people to, that they can be under you to come hear their grievances. And really, that's what we see uh, in discipleship. We um, can't meet everybody's needs. We can't give everybody the time we would love to give. Right. That's why it's, it's a picture of we need more and more people engaging, more and more people involved. That God continues to grow the body and more people are investing. And what I find is, is I invest in people, the Lord grows me even more because to be full to give something out, uh, I've got to be growing in Him. And then after this, we see uh, the giving of, of the law in Exodus chapter 20, which is a, a huge part of Scripture. Well, yeah. Uh, well, we've got two more massive things uh, before we end this week three. The one is the giving of law, which you just mentioned, but even right before that, God's covenant with Israel at Sinai, which uh, he's basically saying, you know, I'm going to be giving you the law. You're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. Uh, and and they, uh, in that nine, Exodus 19 passage, uh, uh, they agree to it. They see God in his holiness. They see God in his power. Convinced he is who he is. And after they see that, then God, in Exodus chapter 20, hands down uh, the at least the part of the law most of us are familiar with. Yeah, the, the Ten Commandments. And, you know, there's people who often think that the Ten Commandments were the Old Testament means of salvation. That can be a common mis, misunderstanding of Scripture, that somehow if you could keep the Ten Commandments, you would be saved. The Ten Commandments reveal to us that we can't even be obedient in the most basic things. Mm. Uh, they show us our sin, our brokenness, and our need for a Savior, and show us God's goodness, that He has saved us while we were yet sinners, and yet He's going to show us how to walk in obedience. And there's no greater joy in life than walking in obedience. I think sometimes people look at obedience as a burdensome thing. Right. Uh, and God is hiding something from us. That's sort of the original sin. Adam and Eve thought God is keeping something yeah, from holding us. Holding out on us. Yeah, He's holding out on us. He's, there, you know, sin would be, you know, if it were, if it were, if God didn't say it was, uh, we shouldn't do it. Man, I would love to do it. It'd be great. But God is is protecting us from that which will bring destruction to our lives and leave a wake of destruction in our path. That's right. Yeah, and I think a simple, it might be overly simplistic, but one simple way to view the Ten Commandments, uh, to break them down, the first four really do deal with uh, our relationship as it relates to God. Absolutely. It's kind of a vertical component. Mm-hmm. The next six uh, deal our relationship with each other, a horizontal component. What's uh, interesting, though, or a couple, a couple of things to say about it, uh, one is this. 
on the surface, you may could look at these and say, I'm doing fairly well. Jesus takes these and adds some layers of depth in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, that I think really shook the Jewish religious community to the core. Because it may be easy to say, I've never committed adultery. And Jesus is saying, yes, but have you ever lusted? Yeah, he takes it back to the heart, which is what God always sees. That's exactly right. And when you take Jesus' perspective on this law, then uh, none of us survive meeting its requirements um, in any way, shape, or form. Now, the other part is, uh, this is something that was, it was helpful for me, may not be for others, but that, that, that commandment here where it says, you shall not take the Lord, uh, name of the Lord, your Lord uh, in vain. Uh, I always grew up thinking, or at least, and that being reinforced through teaching, that the application of that verse is to never say, oh my God. Yeah. You know, and I hear people at school say, oh my God, and we go, oh my God, I can't believe yeah. you said yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, and later in life, I said much worse things. But uh, it, that is maybe a an application. But the reality is, when it says, take the Lord your God in vain, the idea of vain there is in an empty way. Yeah. In a meaningless, thoughtful way. Now, that can take on a whole nother level of conviction because it's saying never talk or speak about God in ways that are empty uh, or thoughtless. Yeah. And now that, I think a lot of us still transgress a lot of the time. Yeah, and, and we are people who bear the name of God upon ourselves. So I've even heard some say, hey, taking the Lord's name in vain, when we live our lives unto ourselves, we're in some way. Uh, taking his his name in vain as if his name upon us calling us a little Christ calling us a Christian um, really has no impact on our lives and so if you wanted to uh, you know it's it's uh, always a convicting thing to look at even these ten commandments and and really what they reveal about the state of our hearts and Jesus says don't or, or this says don't murder Jesus says have you ever hated anybody in your heart it's the same as obviously externally isn't the same result as murdering them but the heart level it is, uh, and to really think through, see if, man, any of this obvious sinful uh, fruit is bearing true in our heart. Um, okay, Steve, final words here before we wrap up week three and head on to week four. Uh, uh, the law itself, okay, this is not a different plan of God. This is not some plan A and it didn't work, so then God had to go plan B in Jesus. The law, Paul tells us in Galatians, had one primary function. It was our tutor to lead us to Jesus. It was to teach us we're sinful. We can't save ourselves. The sacrifices come in as a, as painting the picture of us. Blood has to be shed and it needs to be shed by somebody other than us to pay for our sin. Ultimately, that's all fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. So the law is not problematic. Uh, The law was not plan A, Jesus plan B. Jesus says the law has been fulfilled in me. So it, its plan was perfect and its plan was perfectly fulfilled. Yeah. Amen. And, and, we see that God had a plan. He's sovereign over it. Uh, nothing is, is surprising to God. He knows exactly what he's doing. His plan was always to save his rebellious people himself through his son, Jesus. And here he's painting uh, in, in the Passover the clearest picture of that. And then he, he shows after he leads them out that you're not going to be able to make it in this life and walk very well Mm. unless you follow my commands. Amen. All right, Steve, thanks, and I look forward to being with you next week.